I remember to this day. The final words I spoke with my grandfather who died too early of cancer. I remember my brothers, it was my brother, myself, my grandfather, and we were saying goodbye to him, though we didn't know at the time. I remember those words. I remember the words that were spoken to me when I walked across the platform to receive my college diploma, and the president said a few words to me. I remember those words. I, had a, I was blessed to have a relationship with him. I remember many of the words that my wife said to me in her wedding vows. Words are important. Final words are important. But there are no words as important as the three Jesus will speak. me at verse 30 when Jesus received the sour wine he said it is finished I'm Kyle Grant and I'm the lead pastor at Grace Bible Church you know biblical preaching is one of the highest priorities of our ministry and I'm so thankful that you've chosen to listen if you have any questions about our ministry or would like to know more about Christ, feel free to connect with us at www.gracebibleelkhart.com. Thank you again for spending these moments with us, and I pray that God transforms you by His grace through the Bible. This morning we discuss the climax of the book of John. This morning... We study the climax of the life of Jesus Christ. The most important moments in history. These are true moments. It is important to recognize that when we come to the account of the crucifixion, even as we discussed last week, remember I said I don't want you to hear the Passion Week stories as stories alone. These things really happened. And that's not coming just from someone who believes them. If you're here as a skeptic with us this morning, as a questioner with us this morning, we're, we're glad you're here. You're welcome here. But there are innumerable Historical accounts verifying what we will talk about this morning. You can believe this. You must believe this. There is no hope if you don't. Jesus has been handed over to die. His trial is finished. He has been beaten once. He will be beaten again. The last words that we studied last week were the end of verse was the end of his trial in verse 16 of chapter 19. 
And that is where we'll be to this morning, John 19. So he, that is Pilate, delivered him over to be crucified. I'm, I'm going to be honest this morning. We're going to talk about hard things. I will do my best to be both factual and delicate, but I want you to know how much Jesus suffered. Parents, if you take that as a fair warning, then you should take that as a fair warning. The younger ones are dismissed downstairs, but make sure your children know the suffering of Jesus. The crucifixion was a hard and horrible thing. And there's no getting around it. And I think we need to know. We are going to read as we work into our points as we have been doing. So what came before where we are now? Well, this is of course only John's account. The other gospel writers actually give their own various accounts. All the, all the facts remain the same, but some of the timelines are not different, but they just, they're altered a little bit because each of the gospel writers include different accounts. John is focused on one thing, and that one thing is that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, so that by believing on him, you might have life. And even as we have been studying, we have seen that Jesus not only fulfills his own self-made prophecies about himself, but he fulfills the scriptures. And that's one of the things that we'll see uh, predominantly this morning, because that's what John wants us to see. John wants us to see that these events that actually took place are events centered around Jesus Christ, so that we would believe who he is and have life according to his name. So we have discussed his trial, which takes place in chapters 18, uh, starts in verse 12, goes to verse 23, and that's his trial before the Jews, and then in 1828 to where we were last week, 1916, his trial before Rome. Remember we said he stood as the accused. Last week we talked about that the, the, the theological reality is pictured for us in this true story, that he is our Redeemer, that he, through Him we have justification, through Him we have atonement. He is the propitiation for our sins. That is the substitutionary sacrifice. We have seen that He was rejected by the Jews, and this is important because this is consistent with chapter 1. He came into His own, and His own received Him not. We see in verse nine, chapter 19, verse 1, that he was flogged. This is the lighter of the beatings that he will receive. At some point before his crucifixion, he would be scourged. Mark uses this word in particular to talk about the beating of Jesus. So likely he was flogged as... as uh, a way to pacify the Jews' anger towards him. This was Pilate's way of getting him off with just a beating, but of course you know it doesn't work. If you were crucified, you were scourged. It was the way, the Rome, well, the way that Rome worked it. Scourging 
sped up death, and increased the suffering. We're going to start We're going to start in chapter 19. We're going to start in verse 17. So they took Jesus, that's the end of verse 16, and he went out bearing his own cross to a place called the place of the skull, which is in Aramaic called Golgotha. There they crucified him with two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic and in Latin and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews. But rather, this man said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. We're going to stop reading there for now. Let's pray. Father, I need your help this morning. I want us to see Jesus. I want those who have believed to love him more. And those who have not, to fall at the foot of the cross and beg him for salvation. And I want you to be praised for what you have done, Jesus. And I ask these things in your name. Amen. This morning, I'm going to walk through the suffering of Christ, and we're going to work through the text together. As you notice, John really doesn't give that many details about the crucifixion. He says, there they crucified him. And so I'm going to explain to you that process. The other gospel writers give more of an account. If you'd like to read those, I would encourage you to. It gives a full account of Everything. In fact, there are some things Jesus says on the cross that John doesn't include, again, because of what John is attempting to accomplish. He wants us to believe that Jesus is the Christ. I told you that Jesus would be scourged. This was the mode of operation for Rome. For someone to be crucified, they would first be scourged. Scourging took place Outside the city, you notice that the suffering of the cross would take place outside the city of Jerusalem. That was both to pacify the Jews' desire that uh, death would not take place in the city around Passover and because there they could gather a crowd and people could go and observe. That would eventually change. Sometimes crucifixions would take place in the city, but when a Jew was crucified... Jerusalem, the, the, the leaders of the Jews preferred it outside the city. So, the individual would be taken outside the city and a Roman soldier or two would hold a leather strand 
That leather strand would have nine individual leather strands, and on the each of end of the each end of those nine strands, there'd be something weighted like a steel ball. And inside those strands, there would be woven sharpened objects like shells or rocks or pieces of metal. So it was a whip with nine strands into which each strand was woven something sharp. The balls were intended to cause the weight of the whip to wrap around the body so that what was sharpened would dig into the flesh. The soldier would then snap the whip so that what was sharpened would grab even deeper and then the whip would be ripped off. 29 times. This hastened the death of the individual. Remember, this was Jesus' second beating. After this, they would throw Jesus' cross on him and tell him to carry it himself. Crosses were large and heavy. You, of course, know Jesus cannot do this on his own, so they get someone to help him. Jesus has walked to the place of the skull, which is in Aramaic called Golgotha. It was called that because from a certain angle, it looked like a skull. This would have been, you could call it the slang name for the hill. The cross would be laid down, the individual laid upon it, And there they would first tie their feet and hands so they would not attempt to escape or fight back. Spikes would be taken, not not actually spikes as sharp as you think they were. And they would be put through the, the two wrists, two bones in your wrist. The pictures that you see of Jesus on a cross where the 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 nail is through their hands are not probably accurate. And the reason we know this is from history because people on crosses would rip their hands off the cross. And so Rome found out if you put it through the two bones in the wrist, they couldn't come off. The cross was intended not just to cause immense pain, it was intended to cause immense emotional and physical turmoil, and not just because of the pain. The cross was picked up, slammed into the earth, and when this took place, the sockets in shoulders typically dislocated. because of the force and the way that they were hung. I should mention immediately preceding this, wounds would be reopened. Do you remember when they put that robe on Jesus' back? This was after the beating. The scourged individual would be scourged shirtless, and then they would put clothing on the individual, probably just a robe. 
And immediately before they were nailed to the cross, they would rip it off so that everything had stuck and coagulated to the robe would reopen the bleeding wounds. And now the individual is on the cross. And they need to breathe. And with every breath, they would have to pull up on the nails through their wrists with dislocated shoulders. And so in anguish, just to take a breath, they would lift themselves up on the cross. Many, history tells us, many people who were crucified chose not to do this and wanted to suffocate as quickly as possible. So they would choose not to breathe. Jesus did not do this. Jesus suffered to the fullest extent. He is mocked. Pilate wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, expressing sarcasm and dishonor. The Jews desire to change it. And Pilate gives them no regard. What I have written, I have written. And then look with me at verse 23. This is all taking place while Jesus is attempting to pull himself up on the cross in order that he might breathe. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garment and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill The scripture which says they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Now we're going to begin to work through the passage, but I want you to remember everything that we're about to discuss is taking place while Jesus is suffering everything I just explained to you. While Jesus is attempting to pull himself up that he might breathe. There are multiple texts here that point us back in the Bible that work us into what John wants us to see front and center in this passage, in his account of the crucifixion. And the first one begins actually in verses 17 and 18. And he went out bearing his own cross to the place of the skull, which is in Aramaic, called Golgotha. This is obviously the the general description of where he was crucified. And then in verse 18, they crucified him with two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. The other gospel writers include for us a conversation between these thieves. Presumably, these thieves were helpers of Barabbas and they were to die with Barabbas. But you, of course, know The Jews desired that Jesus would die instead of Barabbas. 
This points us back to Isaiah 53. Therefore I, therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with transgressors. Jesus, Jesus hangs on a cross with criminals as a criminal, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors surrounded, encompassed by evildoers like he is one. The righteous Son of God dying a criminal's death between two criminals. I love Alistair Begg's sermonic note on this passage. You, of course, know there was one thief who would ridicule Jesus and be condemned. And there was another thief that Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Alistair Begg says, I often wonder what it was like for him when he got to heaven. Someone meets him and says, how did you get here? Do you know the doctrine of the Bible? No, I know nothing of that. Do you know the atonement for sins by the blood of Jesus? No, I know nothing of that. Then how did you get here? And the man on the middle cross said, the man on the middle cross said, I could come. The man on the middle cross said, I could come. And that story is true of every one of us who is believed. How did we get there? The man on the middle cross said we could come. And though Jesus died between two thieves, and though it should have been me on a cross and you on a cross, he has gathered for himself through his death, burial, and resurrection a place where we will dwell because we were robed in righteousness that was not our own. That we were given value that we did not have. That we were loved though we did not deserve it. Though we were given a place though we deserve to die. Psalm 22 becomes a very important passage, especially it's almost as if John is writing his, his, his narrative of the resurrection with Psalm 22 right next to him. Maybe you can just picture John. He's exiled and he's, he's writing and he's writing his account of the story that, as we'll see in a few moments, he saw with his own eyes, different than some of the other gospel writers. And he's got Psalm 22 right next to him, right there on his office desk. Psalm 22, verse 16, For dogs encompassed me, a company of evildoers encircles me. And now it's not just the thieves immediately to his right and left, it's his accusers standing before him. It's the, 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 
that those who believed that they were righteous according to the law, the fake religious leaders, the cruel shepherds of Israel, the Gentiles who have no place according to the Jews, they encompass him and they have pierced his hands and feet. And we get to verse 23 and 24 and they take his clothes and they bet on them like they're commodities. And in Psalm 22, 18, it says, they divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. Like Jesus, clothing is something they can take home and sell keep if they want to. The object of this token of this king of the Jews. Verse 24, so this said to one another, let us not cast lots, let us not tear it, but cast lots to see whose it shall be. Thus it was to fulfill the scripture which says they divided my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. John wants you to know that Jesus fulfills the Bible because if you believe that he is the Christ, you can have life according to his name. But standing by the cross of Jesus where his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene, which Jesus, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, that's John, standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the other disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Jesus, now there's, there's something very personal and very intimate about this, but there's actually something bigger going on than, than this, this account of Jesus transferring his, his, his care as a son to his mother. Caring for, the el- caring for elderly parents was something that was very Jewish and very important to them. It should be very important to us. And so there's a very tender moment where Jesus literally cares for his mother and his dying breaths. But there's something even bigger than this going on. I think John wants us to note something. I was there. Because Jesus looked at me and said, take care of my mother. He's going to say in the passage we'll study next week, next week, verse 35, he who saw it has borne witness and his testimony is true. John says, you should believe me. I saw it. Here's a reason you should believe me and here's a reason you should listen and know that I saw it, I cared for Jesus' mother because he asked me to. And you couple this statement with, for, about Jesus caring for his mother in the final moments of his life with his statement, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It is so evident to see. You cannot miss That though Jesus is suffering with every breath, though he has fulfilled what Isaiah says, he doesn't even look human. His thought and his concern was for people. For sinners. 
for his mother and for you. It is astounding to think that in the knowledge that Christ has as God, the innumerable, infinite possibilities of what occurs in his mind that is going through turmoil like no one would ever experience before, that he thinks of us Verse 28, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. Psalm 22, verse 15, my strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. Verse 29, a jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. Psalm 69, verse 21, they gave me poison for food, and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. John wants us to see, and we're not even done with it yet. John wants us to see that the Bible has a main character in mind. And that main character is going to do something in the story of God. And that main character is God's Son, and God's Son will suffer and die. That's why there's so much Bible fulfilled in John's account. And so the first thing I want you to say, now it took us a long time to get there, but the first thing I want you to see in our message this morning is that we can trust Jesus because He fulfills what God has said. We can trust Jesus because He fulfills what God has said. Psalm 22, 16, dogs encompass me and evildoers encircle me. Jesus dies between criminals and before sinners. Psalm 22, 18, they divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. John 23, when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them, but the tunic they did not tear and said, let us cast lots. Psalm 22, verse 15, my strength is dried up. My tongue sticks to my jaws. John 19, 28, I thirst. Psalm 69, 21, they gave me poison for food and sour wine to drink. John 19, 29, a jar full of sour wine stood there. And they gave it to him on a hyssop branch. Interestingly, a hyssop branch was what was used to spread blood during the Passover. The branch would be dipped in blood and cast on walls. 
or over the doorposts. That's no subtle hint to the redemption of Jesus Christ by the shedding of blood. John could have said any branch. He could have said a branch, but he wants you to know it was a hyssop branch because blood was involved. I remember to this day the final words I spoke with my grandfather who died too early of cancer. I remember my brothers, it was my brother and myself, my grandfather, and we were saying goodbye to him, though we didn't know it at the time. I remember those words. I remember the words that were spoken to me when I walked across the platform to receive my college diploma, and the president said a few words to me. I remember those words. I, had a, I was blessed to have a relationship with him. I remember many of the words that my wife said to me in her wedding vows. Words are important. Final words are important. But there are no words as important as the three Jesus will speak. Look with me at verse 30. When Jesus received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Of course, the other gospel writers include for us the statement immediately preceding this one. And if you think Jesus only suffered physically, then all you need to do is remember the words, My God, my God, Psalm 22.1, Why have you forsaken me? Now listen, I don't know how this happens theologically, because there is perfect unity in the Trinity But I know Jesus bore, we talked about it last week, bore the sins of humanity, remember, in himself. And for this time of suffering, his father could not look him in the face and turned his back on him. And then God turning His back on His Son who would bear our sins in Himself, He turned His face towards sinners who would believe. And through the loneliness of Jesus Christ on the cross, we experienced perfect union to God eternally. It is finished. Psalm 22. 
Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. It's finished. The work of redemption that God wrought from the beginning of time before the ages began, before you and I were ever even a concept in humanity. That plan is done. The finished work here is specific. It is the redemptive work that God ordained and designed and authored. That redemptive work necessitating sacrifice because of Adam and Eve's sin. The sin of Adam brought a curse that must be broken. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul tells us, as the man of dust, as was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, that is Jesus, so also are those of heaven. He has broken the curse. The sin of Adam brought bondage to sin and Satan from which we must be freed. And Jesus himself tells us in John 8, whom the Son has is free Indeed, the son of Adam brought death, which we had no hope in ourselves of overcoming because we were dead in our trespasses and sins. What can something that is dead do for itself? Nothing. And as we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, has made us alive. By grace you have been saved. He has done it. I don't know how... I don't know how to communicate this. There are no words in human language to communicate the glory of what Jesus says. The best effort that the human language can make about the glorious accomplishment of Christ's redemptive work or it is finished. And he gave up his spirit. He bowed his head. Gave up his spirit. It's important that Jesus gives up his spirit. Because he has said in chapter 10, verse 18, no one takes my life from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. Everything that just happened, that suffering, that pain, the finished work of redemption on the cross, is because He does it of His own accord. You could put it this way, He 
wanted to. Out of obedience to his father, he gave up his spirit. So firstly, we can trust in Jesus because he fulfills what God has said. Secondly, we must trust in Jesus because he finished what God had started. He finished what God had started. God creates. And he creates man and woman. And he initiates relationship with them. And they royally mess it up. They do the one thing, the one thing that he says don't do. They bring curse, they bring, a, they bring death, they bring slavery to sin, both spiritual and physical. And so God, God doesn't, God doesn't create a plan to make up the mess. This is what He always ordained before the foundations of the world. And then we have hundreds of years of bondage represented to us by Israel. Hundreds of years of waiting and anticipating the Messiah and He comes and they reject Him and He dies and finishes it anyway. Friend, listen. Most of the people in this room have believed this. And we trust this alone for our salvation. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But what do you believe? Because you can keep trying. You can keep working hard. You can keep giving your all at whatever you think will make you good enough for God or yourself. But there is nothing good enough but the redemptive sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And it has been done for you. John's account, I believe this is my best effort at John's account of the crucifixion, crucifixion passage, is that we have no certainty without God's kept word, and we have no salvation without Jesus' completed work. We have no certainty without God keeping His word, and we have no salvation without Jesus' completed work. It is finished. Why do you do what you do? 
Why do you make the choices that you make? Why do you live the life that you live? Because one of the things I've prayed for myself, and I don't think it's a bad thing to pray for yourself, is that I would relate every decision to this true story. I would relate every choice, every every desire to this true story that Jesus suffered. That Jesus died. That Jesus fulfills the certain word of God and finishes salvation once and for all to those who believe. And I really do think That if the next time we were tempted, or if the next time we worried, or if the next time we were fearful, or if the next time we wanted to live for ourselves, or if the next time we were angry, we considered Jesus suffering on a cross. He died for this. How can I go my own way? How can I choose this sin? How can I live for myself when I consider what has been given, what has been done? He has done it. I do pray that the cross changes us because it's changed our eternal destination. But what about our daily decisions? Because we have no hope without the certainty of God's kept word. And we have no salvation without the completed work of Jesus Christ. In Christ alone, my hope is found. Yeah. Uh-huh.